0: Praise God. Well, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> I hope it's a great day for you and for all of you fathers. And we um, looking forward to a good time here in the Word of God. So today we are working on a lesson on forgiveness. We're in a series this month on forgiveness. <clears throat> and Pastor Carson has given me the freedom to teach whatever I felt, and so I kept the theme, but I have a very different lesson from what came in the lesson, but when I got the lesson sent to me by Sister LaDusta, I think it was, she said the lesson, it was entitled 70 times 70, and I'm thinking, maybe Dave Brown needs more grace than the Bible is... I don't know if that was a Freudian slip on Lodesta's partner or not. I'm not sure that it was her, but, so I got that email from. But hey, if it needs to be 70 times 70, so be it. I think that's the spirit of what the Lord was talking about. I'd like to give a little shout out to um, my father-in-law. He's not my father, but he's my father-in-law, Brother Coogan, George Coogan. Appreciate you, love you, sir, respect you. And um, thank you. And I honor my sons-in-law, who are the fathers of our grandchildren as well. Josh and Thomas, they're good men. Um, But I also want to thank Candy, because she chose me to be the father of her children. So uh, Candy, God bless you. You're you're a wonderful woman. Also, I'd like to thank Madison and Hayden for the the AV work that they have done. And I appreciate their creativeness and, and tech savvy and so on. So I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23, verses 34, and we're going to read actually several verses here. And so I'm going to dive right on in. Luke 23, 34. Then it said, Jesus, Father, forgive them. So I'm going to extract that three-word phrase from this story here, this illustration from this time, critical time in Christian history. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be the, son, the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek. Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. So several verses, there are several sentences about things that Jesus was going through right then that he was saying, Father, forgive them. But I would propose to you that we can't simply look at the characters that were standing around the cross and say Jesus must have been looking down at them saying, forgive this one and forgive this one and forgive that one and forgive the person with the hammer and forgive the one with the... I suppose, and I propose, that he was looking down a timeline to you and to me saying, Father, forgive them. Because my sins nailed him on that cross as every as much as, every much as those nails did. Father, forgive them. I'm one of them. And one of the malefactors which was hanged railed on him. More harassment here, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and unto uh, thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuked, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Dost thou see thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Boy, there is something that comes out of a request for forgiveness that is very good. Goodness comes out of forgiveness. Forgiveness is as basic to Christianity as the cross that Jesus died on. And if that's the case, then nothing probably summarizes what Jesus did on that cross more than his statement, Father, forgive them. So when we look at this phrase here, Father, forgive them, it's a culmination of all he stood for, all he tried to teach, all he tried to communicate to us, and all he empowers us to do in that phrase, Father, forgive them. We're talking about forgiveness here. Now, Following Jesus' example is a mighty daunting thing to do. How do we just forgive people? You know, if I were to poll you and ask for deep hurts and, and legal hurts and, and deep, deep problems and issues that you can't forget and so on and so forth, probably every one of us would be able to raise our hand and say, yes, I, I've been there, I've done that, I've, I've got that emotional scar and so on. But even so, Jesus wants us to forgive yet he was perfect. So how do I follow the example of a perfect man when I'm not perfect? How in the world can I forgive like Jesus as we're challenged to do when I don't have his skill set, I don't have his, his goodness? Well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Dad, you like my older brother more than me. That's not true, son. Why did you say that? When's the last time you spanked him? Um, I can't remember. See? You act like he never does anything wrong. When's the last time you spanked me? Last night. Right, see what I mean? I bet at his birthday tomorrow, you're going to give him a better present than you ever gave me. You think he's perfect. Jesus never makes any mistakes. Well, that's not exactly. No, uh, we don't love him more. He is pretty special. You see, the Holy Ghost over, well, um, Mary, would you come here and explain to James about how this whole thing worked? <laughs> He's your son. James, talk to her. She was there. I only had a dream. Oh, Dad, and another thing. Is Jesus' 10th birthday tomorrow. How come you've only had nine anniversaries? And how come he doesn't look like you? James, talk to your mother. Mary, get in here. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine being James? Kudos to you, Erica, for your play on this. Can you imagine being James, trying to live up to the perfect brother? Practically perfect in every way. But yet that's what the Lord asks us to do, is to live up to his standard as humans. How in the world are we going to do that? We're gonna read from Matthew chapter six now. Matthew chapter six, nine. And I'll start reading here. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We understand this as the Lord's Prayer. We understand that this was an instruction about how to pray. pray. Maybe the, the themes of prayer, not so much the literal quoting of this verse, these verses, although that's fine. But Jesus was trying to instruct his followers, this is how you do it. But then he gets to some really tough stuff. He says, And lead, me, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you, your trespasses. Wow. Wow. You know, when, when things need to be said clearly, the Bible says it clearly. And the Bible says, if we don't forgive, we'll not be forgiven. If I were to ask you for right now, is there somebody in your life, your mind, your memory that you haven't forgiven, if a name or a picture flashes to the front Do a little introspection thinking, do I need to work on this a little bit more? Because it's possible, it's absolutely true, that if there is unforgiveness in our hearts, that automatically invalidates our ticket to heaven. God help us. So I'm trying to be as practical as I can here because I want us all to get to heaven. And we can all get to heaven. God's made a way. He's got a provision. He's got a plan. So hang in. We're going to talk about this. We're going to look here at challenge number two. How often should we do this forgiveness thing? Luke 17, 4. And if he trespass against us, against thee, seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. But it goes on to talk about 70 times seven. Now, here's really where the crux of the matter of forgiveness very often comes to. It comes down to, I can forgive, but I can't forget. And the way that we would make that statement in our mind or in our heart determines whether or not we're asking God's help. It determines whether or not there's still bitterness in our heart that's unresolved. It, It determines if we have really gotten a true, godly, spiritual forgiveness in our heart. I can forgive, but I will never forget. Some people live there. Some people wake up in the morning with that thought. Some circumstances absolutely control the spare time of people. And God has given us a way to be released from that type of a prison. He's given us power to be able to step up above that kind of control. He was tempted in every way like we are. On the cross and people are mocking him. When he's down, so being kicked when he's down, whipped when he's down, the thing was the trial was a mockery, and the death was excruciating. If anybody can relate to this phrase right here, it would be Jesus. I can forgive, but I, I, I can forgive, but I will never forget. But while Jesus was on the cross, he forgave even before he had enough time to forget. And some things you never forget. That's number 62, kid. That's number 63, kid. That's number 64. You're getting close, buddy. Yeah, but we got to multiply it times seven, dad. (laughs) Would you give up, kid? Unforgiveness is like drinking a poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. Let me say that again. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. Ephesians chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. When you look at those words in the context of forgiveness, wow, they define a heart that hasn't been able to give it up. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, what are the the benefits of, of forgiveness? Doing a little bit of research, and I came up with the first website, ironically, wasn't even a religious website. It was the Mayo Clinic. And they said, yeah, you can read that. They said, this is obviously not religious. This is strictly physical. Strictly medical forgiveness will have, help you have healthier relationships. It'll help you have improved mental health, less anxiety and stress and hostility, fewer symptoms of depression, lower blood pressure, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. If the doctors, without any medical, I mean, without any biblical advice, can say these are proven facts that should really validate in our minds the need for us to truly get a biblical forgiveness in our heart or we're drinking that poison ourselves. How does God forgive? Let's take a a look at three verses here about how God forgives, things that he does. Isaiah 43, 25, I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Sounds like God got over it. He's past it. He's not hanging on to all that. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east, (laughs) I thank God. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Micah 7:19 says, "He will turn again, he will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea." All of those verses talking about Jesus taking, controlling, getting rid of and not remembering. Again, the Lord God here, Old Testament, his example is for us to forgive and forget to the degree that we can. But wait a second, forgetting. How can God forget? How does an omniscient God forget? This is kind of like, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Here's this this circular logic that's illogical. But can God make a memory so small that he can't find it? I propose to you that in God's omniscience, he could go to the depth of the sea and he could dredge that sin back up. And he could reach into the unknown and he could probably find that sin, so to speak. But he chooses not to do that. And that, I believe, is the example of what we can and what we must do where we know the memory's there, it's laid down in the, in, in the memory bank in our brain, it's, it's established, it's there, we can pull it up anytime we want to, and many times when we don't want to. Yet, when we follow the example of the Lord, it will be, I'm simply going to lock it up and not open it. I'm going to put it in that safety box, it's there, but I'm not going to deal with it. It's not a matter of not dealing with it, it's a matter of overcoming it. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He knew. He remembered their sins. He looked at the men to his left and to his right. He probably wasn't with them, but he knew when that murder took place. He knew when that sedition took place. He knew what had happened. He remembered that, but yet he forgave. We remember offenses. Emotions drive memories deep into our memories. Anger, injustice, physical hurt, character assassination, embarrassment. They're driven deeply, and they're somehow kept deep but on the top as well. Those are hard and likely impossible to forget. So then how can I forgive like Jesus Here's some solid practical tips for forgiving. Now I know what I'm doing here, I I really do. I've thought this through and prayed very carefully. I understand this is a fun day, it's Father's Day. But here we have a series on forgiveness. And and, And fathers, you're probably gonna get a gift here, but if I could give you a gift from the word of God, it's how to forgive. It is how to receive forgiveness. It's how to allow yourself to be forgiven by God. If you would receive that gift today, you would receive a Father's Day gift that would serve you the rest of your life. So here's some advice for fathers about forgiveness. Correct, but forgive. Give hope. Be in your kid's corner. Look past your own stresses and forgive. Forgive. And look at the needs of your children, your, 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 your family. Look to the needs that are eternal. Now, when we forgive, there's benefits to those that are forgiven, but there's benefits to us as well. Paul and Barnabas, they had John Mark with them. And John Mark was young, probably immature. He didn't um, tough it out. Maybe that would be the way I could say it. You know, here's Paul. He's been a, a night, a day in the night in the deep, and he's been beaten, and he's thinking, "Come on, punk! You can't carry the suitcases." Now he didn't say that, but um, can you see him thinking that? And he has been imprisoned, and he's been ridiculed, and chased out of town, and it's like, "Come on, bud." And so it came time for them to take another trip, and Paul and Paul and uh, Barnabas they had a division. And here's there's several interesting things here that came about came about this. What the devil would intend for evil when you're trying to serve God, God's gonna get good out of it. And so there was one missionary team with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. John Mark checked out. That was one missionary team. But even in the middle of that difficulty, when forgiveness came, and we're gonna read and we're gonna hear about forgiveness, how it came in a little bit. But when forgiveness came, that one missionary team turned into two missionary teams, where Paul went out with Silas and Barnabas went out with John Mark. You see, even, even in the middle of difficulty, when we turn things over to God, he'll say, watch this, I'm gonna get some good out of this here if you'll just trust me. You see, all things work together for good to those that are called are according to the word, that those that love him. Things will work out if you put it in God's hands. Now, not only was John Mark um, allowed to travel again, but there was something interesting that was said, and we've heard this, but let me let me just scratch your brain with this a little bit. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, Only Luke is with me. Take John Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Paul has obviously gone from being frustrated to saying, No, let's give it a second chance. First of all, big lesson, give somebody a second chance. When you forgive, give them a second chance. If we forgive and I will not forget, probably not going to give them a second chance. Now, there are some circumstances where we need to remember to protect our family from a certain injury. Common sense, of course. We understand that. But there are times when we need to say, you know what, I'm going to give you a second chance. I want to thank God right here and, and my, my father and family for second chances. If I didn't have second chances, Lord, where would I be? Not only spiritually, but naturally. Where would I be? But here's the interesting part. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me. Not will be. Not I hope that he will be. Not when he gets here, I, he will be. It's, so I don't know what was going on then with John, Mark, and Paul. Maybe there were letters that were being written. Maybe there was some sort of an encouragement that was taking place. But he says, he is profitable. Right. So the point that I'm trying to make here is that when we forgive, it not only helps unlock the, person, uh, the prison of the person that needs to be forgiven, it will also unlock goodness in your heart. There are benefits to those that actually do the forgiving. In the Lord's Prayer, we forgive. Forgive them as we forgive. We get forgiveness. There's one benefit. We get forgiveness. Two, when we determine to continue to forgive, we are not captive to ongoing offenses. You know when when a person's guard is up and they're just really... They're just ready for the next defense and ready for the next problem. Just just relax. Forgive them. Give them a second chance. Life's going to be a whole lot better. Forgiveness releases you from the prison of bitterness. Wow. Just as Christ is our example, we need to be examples of forgiveness to our families. When dad forgives... And the kids see it. Mom sees it. That worked pretty good. Maybe we should try that. Not every sermon is preached from a pulpit. It's possible that the offenses had two sides. Two guilty parties own up to the part that you might be responsible for. Let's take a quick look at the prodigal son. Let's take a look at this story from the porch, the view from the porch. Hey, Dad, where are you? Out on the porch, son. Again? Yeah. Looking down the road, Dad? You know I am. When are you going to give that up? When are you going to come in here with us? I'm going to give it up when I see my son walking down that road. Now, what about me, though, Dad? I'm your son. I'm here. Talk to me. You see, when the prodigal son finally did come down that road and the father forgave the prodigal son, it was an incredibly Real lesson to the son that was in the house of forgiveness. We don't read about that, but I have older brothers and I had a father, and I know that relationships in my family became lessons to me. Examples that I saw became sermons to me. Forgiveness that I saw helped me to understand how I could live my life too. And when the son in the house, although he was frustrated with the ring and the clothes, he was frustrated with the fatted calf, he knew what his dad was doing. And he knew that it was about forgiveness. I'm not trying to change the biblical story. But he saw the example of forgiveness from the life of his father. That's a powerful example to live. So who benefited from that return of the prodigal? Obviously the prodigal. But the son, the father himself, the father was released from guilt of, did I raise my child wrong? Did I offend my child? Was it my fault that he left? What could I have done differently? So I wouldn't be going through this heartache right now. The son was brought back into relationship. He received the benefit of that, but the father, through forgiveness, received the benefit of that as well. Forgiving is an forgiving rather is an intentional act. It's an intentional act of not rehashing the offenses. It implies someone is getting a pass in a conversation when truth could be stated that would demand a guilty verdict. Just don't need to bring it up. It's a picture of a judge having sound evidence that's admissible in court according to the rule of the law and intentionally not grabbing that file that's within arms arm's reach and marketing as evidence for the case. I'm going to leave it in the file. Wow. You know, our, adver- our adversary, he loves to keep those memories in our brain. He's the prosecuting attorney. He submits the evidence, he's the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren doesn't need help, don't get on his team. He stands before the Lord, accusing day and night. Wow. I can't forget, therefore something is wrong with me. No, maybe you're under attack from the devil. Get the help of the Lord. I don't wanna forget because I don't want that to happen to me again. Get the help of the Lord. The pain is so great that it constantly reminds me of one of the one who offended me and hurt me, and while I would like to let it go, it has a grip on me. Get the help from our Lord. So what's the solution? How in the world do you forgive somebody that you can't forget, forgive that, you can't forget that situation? How do you do that? Pray for them that despitefully use you. seems that's in the Bible somewhere. Pray for him. I can tell you that God will melt feelings of anger when you pray for somebody else. Just, this is, this is real candid here, but just this last week we were teaching at a camp. We were praying for people to get the Holy Ghost and the Lord just reminded me of some people that There was some stuff, and I I just went over, and I just kind of forgot about everybody and all that was going on. I went over to the side, and I just laid down on the ground, and I started to intercede for them, started to travail for them, started to to go to the Lord for them. Something happens, there's a switch that flips when you pray for people, for God to help them and forgive them and bless them and encourage them. Something will happen when you do that. I challenge you to try that. When you pray for somebody, it moves you from (laughs) the status of being a victim to being above the problem. It gives you another position. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was not a victim of those nails. He was above that when he said, Father, forgive them. So forgiveness, forgiveness is a key that can unlock the door to the cell, the prison of a problem. Have you ever been in one of those um, outdoor zoos, maybe like a safari, and you're driving through in the car and the animals are all free? And it's like, at that point, who's really in the cage? I mean, really? Oh, and by the way, keep the windows up. (laughs) Sometimes as a person that needs to forgive, we might think they're in the cage. Their sin has locked them in that cage. But really, our lack of forgiveness has locked us in our own cage, in our own prison cell. So who's really locked up? Who is really the one that's incarcerated? Great. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was privileged to take a tour, a complete tour of Pendleton Prison once. And we went, um, we went through the entry that prisoners that were being brought in were going through. I saw a prisoner just sitting right there waiting for his time to start his first day. And I couldn't help but think, what was the offense? How long, how many years? What will he encounter? And we walked in and we, we went into the prison cells and we went into solitary confinement. We, we ate a prison meal and we saw, you know, the, the, the nice rooms and we saw the rooms where there's a couple hundred people in a gym. And we saw, talked to people a little bit. And it, those of you that work in prison ministry, keep it up. Keep it up. Forgiveness is for everyone <laughs> But it dawned on me that the key that locked the prisoner in the cell is the same key that frees them. The key of forgiveness, if it's not used, we might think that it would lock somebody up. And when I use it, it'll unlock them. But the fact of the matter is the key of forgiveness unlocks me from my prison cell. It allows me freedom from being controlled. It allows me the freedom to walk away. Forgiveness is a choice of the will. We choose to overlook. We choose not to dwell. We choose to love despite the offense and so on. Here's a promise for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 through 19. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Now, covenant, pretty important thing. It's a spiritual contract, if I could say it that way, with God. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood. We're able to enter. How? Because God is able to get in our heads and our hearts. He's able to do a work in our heads and our hearts. He's able to change things. And that covenant will change things. But a covenant is a promise between two parties. I need to accept that covenant and move in that area. Revelation 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying from heaven, now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Boy, there's hope. He's cast down which accused them before our God day night. Now here's the real encouraging part. And they overcame him. By the blood of the lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. How did they overcome those accusations from the best accuser out there? They, they overcame that by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of the testimony. The blood and the testimony. Oh, that sounds like old-fashioned Pentecost. That's what you call apostolic. I plead the blood, I plead the blood over this life. I plead the blood over this relationship. I plead the blood over this offense. I plead the blood over my mind, over my heart. When we plead the blood, what are we doing? We're saying, God, cover me with your blood and and enact this covenant in my life because I wanna be an overcomer and I can only do it through the power of your blood and and our word. Lord, help me. Give me the power of your blood. It has covered my sin. It has blotted out my sin. I will remember it no more. But yet, what is our testimony? It's my born-again experience. I am forgiven. I am washed by the blood. God's forgiveness has taught me that there can be life after an offense. He has given me a chance at new life so that others will have a new opportunity because of my forgiveness to them. So we pray for them, and so on. Now I've got a little sidebar here. I've got to do this really fast, and I will. If you love the verse, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And your attitude is, sick him, God. You might want to work on that. If I only have righteous indignation against that person, be careful. The Bible says, rejoice not in a day of calamity. When a person who's offended you has a bad day and you rejoice, be careful. These are indicators of forgiveness that's never really come to truth. It wasn't until 1905 that cars had a reverse gear. Prior to that, you'd have to keep going straight. And if you drove up to something, you'd have to back it up, put it in neutral and back it, push it back. I saw a garage once that was built before 1905. Brother Foley, it's actually in, in um, uh, your neighborhood, your old neighborhood interesting garage, and you'd pull your car in, and there was a round table, like a lazy Susan that the car would be on, and you would literally push the car around (laughs) to get it to drive back out of the garage. Dads, find your reverse gear. Son, help me. Corey Ten Boom, you have a first picture of her. I'd like you to show it. Corey Ten Boom was um, put in prison in Ravensbrück during World War II. She wasn't a Jew, but she protected the Jews. And she was caught, sent to Ravensbrück, and then suffered many, many indignities. She and her sister, her, her dad died in a prisoner of war camp. She, her sister died in a prisoner of war camp And Corrie Ten Boom was preaching once in Germany after World War II, 1947. The Germans were in a rough emotional state. And after her sermon on preaching, a man came up to her in a brown coat. But as he walked up, she saw his face and her memory immediately put that Nazi cap on top of his head and that blue uniform on top of him. And he was the guard that she and her sister had to strip in front of and all those other women and suffer all the indignities that they went through, along with many other things that they suffered. And he walked up to her and stuck his hand out and said, I'm a Christian now. I'm asking for your forgiveness. And she said, I I couldn't pull my hand out of my pocket. This is real stuff, folks. This is real life stuff. She had just preached it, but now she couldn't pull her hand out of her pocket. And she said, in that split moment, Lord, you hung there on that cross and you were naked. And you said, Father, forgive them. And I'm not telling this story well. I don't have time to. But she pulled her hand out. And she forgave that man. Could we go to the next picture? That's where she hid those people. But she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. I forgive you. She had a couple of statements. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. After that, she was able to say this. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find out that the prisoner was me. She wrote a great book. Encourage you to take a look at it. The Hiding Place. Fathers, I've endeavored to give you a present today. It's not wrapped up necessarily in a pretty bow, and maybe it didn't put a smile on your face, but if I can get you to look at your lives and give you a gift of freedom from unresolved problems, I will have accomplished what the Lord commissioned me to do here today.